I'll turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 2. We'll be in verses uh, 18 through 21. Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might follow in his steps. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would... Breathe life into our dry bones. Pray that you would help us to understand the scriptures. I pray that you would um, speak life into us. I pray that you would convict and reprove and rebuke us. I pray that we would take your word seriously. And that we would give you all glory and honor and praise tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you missed the very last uh, week that we had, three weeks ago, um, you should go on our podcast and listen to that message. It was uh, Chris did a wonderful job on submission to authority, and that was verses 13 through 17. We have a little podcast that you can get and listen to them. But I encourage you to listen to that because this week is like a uh, follow-up kind of to that. Servants, he, he now he addresses servants um, and being subject to your masters and uh, and all with all respect, and it's very similar. It's a very similar style, and all of this is applicable to all people. Um, but now, as we continue through uh, Peter's imperatives for us, he gave us uh, throughout the rest of his letter, he's going to give us a lot of imperatives and indicatives, kind of mixed all in. Um, he's going to give us a lot of commands and a lot of statements of fact of who God is throughout the rest of the letter. And tonight we have. Um, both here. But what I want to do is I want to start with uh, this word servants. And it might uh, scare some of you. It certainly did me when I was studying. But um, I think with a little bit of clarification, we'll understand this and it will be a little bit more applicable to us in our time. So this word servants, this word servants uh, in the Greek is very similar to the word for slave. It's very similar, but is often um, and it's often translated as slave, but our English vocabulary doesn't really have a word that describes uh, what Peter is trying to get across to describe this relationship. Because uh, you need a word that's stronger than um, so. Our my ESV translation is servants, and as I told you, some some translations translated as slave, and so slave would be too strong of a word for what Peter's trying to say. And servants is kind of too weak. So somewhere, imagine somewhere in the middle. Um, and again, what I want you to realize too is uh, in, in saying servants, slaves certainly apply to that. And so Peter, there were certainly slaves uh, in this time period in the first century. Um, and what we do have to realize too is that 19th century slavery was much different than the slavery we're talking about here. Um, some of the ways I'll mention now, uh, the economy of the ancient world... Uh, in the time of Peter writing, 
would really uh, be really dependent upon slavery. And some slaves were uh, unskilled workers, but oftentimes they were educated, sometimes more even than their masters were. So it's, uh, you, there's, you'll see a lot of differences between the 19th century American uh, slavery that we think of today when we think of slaves. Some slaves had various professions like doctors, nurses, teachers, musicians, uh, and skilled art- artisans. And so we see why sometimes they would have a better uh, education than their masters. They were normally paid and could possibly purchase their own freedom. Now all this sounds like, oh, slaves not near as bad, but I don't want to sugarcoat it. I'll be doing you a disservice if I told you that it was all good. Um, this was mostly involuntary. Sometimes they would sign up for it, but this was mostly involuntary because they were either captured in war or kidnapped from foreign lands. But mostly, by the first century, uh, when Peter's writing this, most people were just born into slavery. So it's still involuntary, but it's not, they hadn't been captured, uh, so to speak, uh, most of them. Um, and they, they were treated, and again, I, w- I don't want to sugarcoat it, they were treated as property. As we see in our text, all slaves were treated in various ways, depending on their masters. Some were treated harsh, and others were treated uh, gentle and good. It all depended on their master. But this can be applied to us today in our context. Uh, this relationship, and as I was studying, um, and as you can kind of see, as some were uh, educated and they were doctors or teachers, um, this can be related to our context because if you think of the relationship of an employee with an employer. Now, again, I'm sure there's a lot of differences, but in, in a sense, this actually can certainly apply to us, and we can certainly um, Especially with the understanding that slave is a strong word. Because it's a different word than slave. The Greek word for slave is different than the, the word servants that is translated servants. And so again, the slave is too strong. Um, servant is kind of too weak. So it's right in the middle somewhere. But I think we can um, certainly look at it with employer, employer and employee relationships. And so that applies to all of you. Um, so you can read it. You know, servants be subject to your bosses with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And so we see this quickly applies to us. Especially in a fallen world. And we have fallen bosses, we have fallen employees, we have fallen work environments, and the world around us has fallen. We most likely won't receive uh, beatings from our employer. But there is opportunity for unjust treatment and suffering of various kinds. And we are called to be subject to them with all respect. This suffering, I, I mentioned early on in First Peter, um, the, the, their main type of suffering or trials that you see in the Bible, that you find in the Bible, are often temptation to sin and, tr- and like trials as far as um, your Christian life and walk as far as fighting against sin and temptation. But here Peter's referring more specifically, I think, to Direct persecution and slavery, or in um, direct persecution and suffering. When Peter says, with all respect, he says, be subject to your masters with all respect. With all respect, he is saying, we should avoid their displeasure. So think about your own work situation and think about your bosses or whoever is in authority above you. 
And he says we should seek to avoid their displeasure. And not just the good ones, but also the ones who are unjust. We should seek to avoid a sense of carelessness for our bosses. And respect them and honor them, no matter uh, their treatment of us. We should also see that Peter broadens the scope of his commandment to endure suffering in verse 21. And this is where I'll spend uh, most of our message is when we get down to verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called. He's not talking to just slaves. He's not talking to just employees. He says, For to this you have been called. Who is you have been called? What's well, the same calling that we went over in chapter 1? To those who are elect exiles in the dispersion. So he says, To this you have been called. You Christians, you have been called to this. What is, what is this? Enduring suffering. You have been called to endure through suffering, through unjust suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. So this is for all Christians, not just slaves, mothers, bosses, entrepreneurs, anyone who calls himself a Christian. This is totally applicable to you. Now, a quick word on this suffering. Uh, there's a dangerous mistake here that we should be careful of. Uh, in verse 20, he says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So in the beginning, he says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? We can get upset uh, as, as Christians. We can get upset and not even realize we are feeling persecuted for something we did wrong. So think about it in your own life. And um, sometimes... Uh, when you see the commands in Scripture that, we, that Christians will be persecuted and persecution will happen, we can often think of any time something like our, someone gets offended by what we're saying or whatever, we're like, ah, I'm just being persecuted. But there's a dangerous mistake here because we could actually be doing something wrong and we could be doing something sinful. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Peter's saying there is no credit. You, get no, you receive no reward. It's not gracious in the sight of God. It is a serious error to feel persecuted for righteousness' sake when we actually are receiving persecution because we have done wrong. Uh, For example, being rude or rash or being uh, overly critical. Um, There's um, a guy I know. He is oftentimes like this, and we can all be like this. But he often says what I've been explaining to you. He often says, ah, they're just persecuting me, they're persecuting me, when he's just being harsh and he's being... um, very, he's uh, cutting people and he's being very um, blatant and calling out sin in a non-gentle and gracious way. And we can often do this sometimes. And then when we receive uh, a hard bite back, we're like, whoa, whoa, they know, we're just being persecuted. But oftentimes, we're actually not doing it the way we should be doing it. You know, our light uh, says, you know, put, put your light on top of a mountain so that all people can see it. But you're not supposed to burn people with your light. And so we need to be gentle and we need to be kind. But I want to answer, uh, and this is where I'll spend the bulk of my time tonight. I want to answer why. Why should we be so willing to endure suffering and really treat the suffering as a good thing from God? Think, think of this as, as a call from Peter to endure suffering. So I'm going to give three um, whys or answers of why we should uh, endure suffering and why we should um, not count it as a strange thing. And we should actually think of it as a good thing to endure suffering. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we seek out opportunities to suffer. 
That's not what I'm telling you. But I am telling you that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted, the Bible says. The way to eternal life is narrow, and few will find it. It's a hard life. And so, some encouraging things to, that we can see here, these three things that I'll list out. These are good encouragements and um, wise. Why is it a good thing? Why should we rejoice uh, in our suffering? And so, why endure suffering? First, let us see that suffering forces us to rely on God for strength and comfort. This is the power we need to endure the suffering. Notice Peter's emphasis on enduring. He says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful, in verse 19, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He says again later, uh, in verse 20, uh, the second half, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So he's not saying the suffering, uh, so to speak, it's not merely suffering, I should say. That is a good thing. It's enduring the suffering. That is a good thing. And so, uh, and in order to endure, we are to um, rely and lean on God and lean on Christ. So the enduring of the suffering is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The suffering we experience is a good thing and is from God. Our, your suffering is from God. It often it could be also a result of sin, like I've mentioned, but we often receive um, suffering from God to strengthen our faith and to sanctify us. Uh, Romans 5 says this. Turn, uh, turn over to Romans 5 with me if you are a quick flipper. I'm not even a quick flipper. Romans 5. Uh, we'll start in verse 2. He sa- uh, Paul says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith. Through him, through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here it is. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is kind of radical. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing, this is why we rejoice, knowing that suffering produces endurance. This is what Peter's talking about. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. And so we see it's a good thing um, to suffer. But the point of Peter is saying, endure the suffering. And so the good thing that you get from that is you have to rely on God, on the strength that God supplies. We are weak creatures and are in need of help from an outside source. There is no internal uh, strength that we can muster up to endure the suffering like we should. It has to come from an external source. That source is Jesus. And God is gracious enough to reveal our weakness through suffering, through trials, through temptation, so we can find strength and comfort in Christ. In James we see this. So flip over to James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Okay, so we're counting something as joy. When you meet trials of various kinds. This, very, this trials of various kinds is referring to the whole, uh, all suffering in the Christian life. Temptation to sin, uh, any type of trial, suffering, 
physical suffering, being put in prison, all kinds of slander, whatever, whatever, so to speak. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is a patient endurance. So we see it's a, uh, it's a good thing to receive tests. That way we may rely on God. Spurgeon has a great quote, um, and Caroline just got this, uh, she got me a frame, and it has this quote on it for Christmas. It's a great quote, and it, it goes really well um, with our sermon, and I, I quote Spurgeon often. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Think about that for a second. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That's really, really powerful. Think about it in our context. I have learned to kiss the suffering that causes me to endure through Christ. Though our suffering forces us and slams us against the rock of ages. It, help, it forces us to rely solely on Jesus. We can't get through it on our own. We are not called to mope around and cry out and complain through suffering. We are called to endure, trusting and relying on God, looking to Jesus. Remember the point of this letter. We are to be distinct from the world. Our theme, holy exiles, it's a distinct people. It's a set-apart people. How are you being distinct if tri- when trials hit you? Are you surprised? Or even angry or upset about it? Later on, in P- uh, Peter will say in verse f- 15, But in your hearts, Christ the Lord as... Uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. There has to be something different about you in order for people to ask you, what's the hope that's in you? And this is the point. We are to be distinct. When suffering and trials hit us, it shouldn't phase us. It often does. We need to seek uh, to rely on Christ. This is uh, the graciousness of what Peter is talking about. He says it multiple times. He said, or uh, a couple different times. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. In verse 19. He also says it uh, in verse 20, in the back half. This is a gracious thing. He's saying this is a gracious thing when you suffer. It's a gracious thing because uh, you're able to lean on Jesus and trust God's ultimate plan of your sanctification. So secondly, so that's number one. Number one is we have to rely on Jesus. That's a a good thing, a, a good call to suffer. Secondly... A second reason to suffer, or why we should suffer, is a life of endurance through suffering is pleasing to God. A life of endurance through suffering is pleasing to God. When Peter says a gracious thing, literally he is saying, this is grace. He's literally saying, uh, for this is grace, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows are suffering, while suffering unjustly. Or this is God's favor. Peter is saying you have the favor of God. Or you are pleasing to God when you endure suffering unjustly. Remember, it has, it's, it's an unjust 
um, suffering. It's unjust, uh, unjustly being put on you. Again, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it? Or what if you sin and suffer for that? This is an unjust suffering. But it's a good thing. It's a gracious thing. You have, it's pleasing to God. This is because you are relying on Him, as we just talked about. This is why it's pleasing to Him. When we are forced to rely on Him, God receives all the glory and credit. And some men don't like this. They want to receive some type of credit. Through our service to our bosses or anyone in authority over us, we are ultimately submitting to God. We are to uh, submit and serve our masters as unto the Lord. This is pleasing in God's sight. There's another nugget in this passage that we passed over too quickly. And it's vitally important. In order to endure the suffering, we must be mindful of God. This is in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. It's a gracious thing when we're mindful of God as we endure suffering. Peter is literally saying we must suffer know and knowing God is in control. And we are entrusting ourselves into his never failing care. We are aware of God's presence with us in our time of need. And this is pleasing in his sight. To be conscious of God through the suffering. Knowing that he is sovereign and he is in control. And he's working all things for his glory and your good. We can trust our God is the just and the justifier. Who in the end will repay everyone according to their deeds. We must be mindful of this. Uh, of his care and provision for us. In order to endure and to please him through our suffering. Look to verse uh, 20, the second half. He says, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Notice with me. Uh, The eye of God on his creation. We are in his sight. Let this terrify you. And give you great hope and comfort. There is nowhere you or I could go and escape God's presence. Psalm 139. uh, Flip there really quick. Psalm 139, verse 7. He says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God is looking down from his throne, and nothing will escape him. All of creation is naked and exposed before him. This is a terrifying thought. If you think about your sin, and your rebellion. Yet, there is hope and comfort to the believer that God is watching over His children to comfort them. And He has given us His Spirit to endure the unjust treatment and to bestow His favor upon us through our endurance. What a gracious God. What a merciful Savior. That nothing happens outside of His sight. He sees all things. He sees your unjust treatment. He also sees you lashing back. Finally, 
Our third, our, uh, third um, call to endure suffering. As Christians are willing to suffer unjust treatment because we want to be more like Christ. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I mentioned it earlier. For to this you have been called. Christ is our great example in the faith. And we are commanded to be like him. And our desire is to be like him as well. Scripture speaks volumes about Christians suffering for the name of Christ. And being called to suffer for the name of Christ. Acts 14.22. Uh, in Acts 14.22 Paul says. So this is, after, this is what Paul says after he has uh, preached in Alistra. He's been stoned. He's been drugged out of the city and left for dead. Supposing he was dead, they left him. And the disciples, when they came to him, they picked him up, they encouraged him, and they went back and they preached. And they went back to the same city. And he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, Christians must enter the kingdom of God. If you are called to faith, you are called to suffer. Those who follow Christ must follow him in his suffering and death, and death in order that we may also live with him. We are called to daily crucify ourselves so that we may live with him. Again, we should not, however, seek out suffering. But we live a life that is devoted but if we live a life that's devoted to God, suffering will come. That's guaranteed. Mankind is opposed to this message, and we are commanded to proclaim it and expose the deeds of darkness with grace. The suffering of Jesus that Peter refers to is probably his life of suffering and not necessarily the death on the cross and the atonement on the cross. But that is certainly in view here. Isaiah 53 says that Christ was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. He was a, in other words, it can be translated, he's a man of pain, knowing only sorrow. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We should be following Christ's example. This is the life believers are called to. The endurance through suffering in our daily lives. There is no aspect of your life that should remain the same. In everyday life, we should be imitating Christ, not just on Sundays. The sacred and secular divide is destroyed. The Bible absorbs every area of your life. Peter gets as specific as servants or employees. Not one area can remain, not one area of your life can remain unsanctified. We see the meaning of and the intentionality of our daily 9 to 5 job. You want to know what your uh, goal is in your 9 to 5 9 to 5 job? You think it's just useless, I should be home reading more or you imitate Christ. Live knowing you're in the sight of God. Endure unjust treatment. 
In all your circumstances in life, Christ can be a sure guide and a present help in time of need. We see this in all circumstances. Every person can relate to Christ. Our endurance through suffering may even lead to the faith and salvation of others. Have you ever thought about that? Like Christ has, Christ's suffering led to salvation of others. Ours is much different. Wasn't this the plan for Israel? That the nations around them would see their faith and they would give glory to God because of it? When people see you, do they see Christ? Do they, want, do they wonder, uh, what is different about you? Or are you just like them in your daily nine to five? Let us look to Christ as our example and lead us through the trials of this life. Counting it all joy to suffer for the name of Christ. Like the disciples in Acts 5, if you're doing the reading plan in uh, version app, um, we just read Acts 5. They were beaten, the disciples were taken, they were questioned, and they were beaten and released. And what did they do? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. We have an example who was perfect and sinless. Yet when he was treated unjustly, for our sakes, he remained silent and opened not his mouth. Should we who are sinners and deserve much worse revile back or fight back when we are wronged? When our Savior who was perfect was like a lamb led to the slaughter and was silent and endured the suffering? Christ has given us the perfect example to follow. He relied totally on the Father for help. See our, see our three calls to endure suffering in this. Christ was our perfect example to follow. He relied totally on the Father for help. That was point one. He heard the great words of God Almighty. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the second point. And he suffered well, being mindful of God. He endured until the end. Shouldn't we follow this example? And can we say with Spurgeon, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Let's pray. Father, we are absolutely weak and insufficient apart from you. We needed an alien righteousness to save us. We needed a righteousness that was not of ourselves. And in order to live for you, we need your spirit daily to lead us and guide us. Lord, I pray that we would be um, honorable servants for you and your kingdom. And we would be willing to suffer and we'd endure that suffering relying on you, seeking to please you always. 
and always looking to Christ as our example in the faith. Lord, make this truth live to us and make our lives live to others. We thank you and love you in your name. Amen.